The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you comfortable discussing money and your personal wealth? If not, where would you start? Is it money and your family, money and charitable contributions, or business and personal wealth? This is Conversations with Money, featuring your hosts, Franco Caligiuri and Marissa Sipolinski. Our show is about real people talking about money. You will develop a better understanding about your conversations with money and also hopefully develop some new habits to make conversations about money easier. Now, here is Franco and Marissa. Welcome. You're listening to Conversations with Money. I am your host, Marissa Zepelinski. And, and it's not actually Franco and Marissa today. We've got a guest host. Hi, I am Allie Warnica. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining, Allie. Franco's actually out of town, so the girls took over the show. Thanks for coming. <laughs> so our show is about money, uh, our relationship with money, and looking at a lot of our limiting beliefs around money and all of the subjective meaning that we put on money and how we interact with that on a, in our daily lives. How you feel about money, how you make your decisions. So make sure you're following us on all our social media handles. We've got Twitter at Your Money Matters, and that's matters without the E, Your Money Matters. Our website is www.capitalcorefinancial.com, and you can find us on Facebook at Capital Core Financial. Our email is info at... And that email is in case oh, anybody wants to call in with a question. Yes, very important. <laughs> we love your questions. Keep them coming. So the email, again, is info at capitalcorefinancial.com. And again, if you want to phone in, we'd love to hear from you. Our phone number is toll-free 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. So we thought today would be an appropriate time to look deeper and dive deeper into our money stories. This was a concept that we've been talking about a little in, in little bits over the past few episodes. And I know I had spoken a bit about it, Ali, after we did our presentation in Whistler uh, mm-hmm. three weeks ago. I came in and I, I was sharing a bit about my experience of that presentation. The presentation was called Money Stories, uh, where we spent about half an hour diving deeper right into how our childhood experiences with money and our relationships with uh, what we saw as children with our parents with money and how that plays out in our lives, you know, fast forward 30, 40 years. So since it's you and me today, I thought this would be an appropriate time to, to dive right into that. It's perfect. And we had such good response from our presentations, I think largely because everyone can relate. We all have our own money stories And this is a perfect way to really start to understand and become aware of what your own personal money story is. Mm -hmm. I think for, I think, and and, you know, going back for years when I first got into financial, being a financial advisor, I spent so much time just looking at the finances and the strategies and it, it took 
consistently watching people fail and running out their patterns with money, be it they made 50000 100000 500000 for me personally to realize, okay, we need to, we need to dig a bit deeper here. It's not mm-hmm. just the money. There's clearly you know, patterns in, in our behaviors and emotional meaning that is driving these behaviors that needs to be addressed. So I'm excited about, about, you know, the presentations that you and I do. I love this. I think it opens up a conversation that not a lot of us are having. And I think that was something that, that was a feedback that we got a lot of. It was like, yeah, I heard when I was young that talking about money was bad etiquette and keep it to yourself and not to talk about it. But, you know, fast forward all these years, it doesn't make sense anymore to not talk about it. No, and we've asked people, we did a bunch of experiments where we asked a bunch of people pulled them about what they really, what money meant to them. And the answers were so varied. We heard everything from security, love, greed, power, parking meter. Yes. We literally, I, I took my iPhone. It was fun. And I would go into Starbucks or, or grocery stores everywhere. And it was asking people, say, I'm going to video you. I'm just going to ask you a question. I'm going to turn the video on. What's your first word? It's the first word that comes to mind when you think about money. And, and like Ali said, it was, I found a lot of men came back with freedom and mm-hmm. options and, and women, there was more of a security. Um, but yeah, we did hear the, the, the evil and the debt and the greed and, uh, debt came up quite yeah, a lot, quite, quite a, a bit. bit. Yeah. And so it was that experiment as we'll call it, that led us to building more and, and, uh, wanting to build that presentation to discuss this. Exactly. Cause, because clearly it's more of an issue than just the way we define money. It's, it's not just a currency of exchange as it's defined. It's, it's got a lot more heated meaning to it. Right. And it's not, and it's something that we use and that we think about every single day, but yet we don't openly talk about it. (laughs) Right. We don't have these conversations necessarily. You know, if you're on a date, let's say date number three, you're getting a little more serious, having a glass of wine, What's your first instinct to whip out your bank statements? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe for some. But no, we, we often, we keep these things secret. Uh, whether we have money or not, we often don't discuss. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think, I think that's a great point, Allie. Thank you, because I think that's the first thing. And, and I think we've had that conversation with so many people where they come in and, and we see that to be the, the missing piece right off the bat. Uh, and whatever stage of life they're in, and I'm glad that we're having this conversation with people earlier earlier in life and, and helping them, you know, release that feeling of stress that you carry around when you carry around a secret. Whether it's this, whether it's debt or whether it's financial freedom, whatever, you know, your goals are, I think that we need to start talking about it. Mm-hmm. Well, I know that we need to start talking about it. That's why we're doing this radio exactly. show. <laughs> and many people will, when they hear that we're doing a talk on financial uh topic and we yeah. ha- they think that we are going to have some strategy more technical stock tips and things like that which are very important but we think this is a really key piece that really renders everything else obsolete if you don't have a good relationship with your money then it's going to affect every area of your life mm-hmm. yeah and i think um, that's funny. I was saying on the, on the episode, the, the, are you a we or me? The very much of that, that it trickles into your relationship with money. We, we don't, it's not compartmentalized. And I think the pattern, the way in which you react with it, 
is is usually the same way you react with or that you are in relationships, in your health. Um, it's all encompassing. It's not like you, you're only just that way with money. So right. So let's talk about it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I mean, for me, for me and my story, my yeah. Whole, tell us a bit about you, Allie. I'll, let me talk more about myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I came from a yogi background, as you know, and my main strategy, my main financial strategy, was to put it out into the universe. So by that, I mean to just really try to manifest things to happen. How'd that, how'd How'd that go for me? Right. (laughs) Well, sometimes it worked often it wouldn't, but I, I really believed that if I could just, you know, I'd write poems about it, make collages, Mm -hmm. make vision boards. We saw a lot of that too. After the secret, remember when the secret came out and everyone was like, I'm just going to sit here and manifest it and create it with my thoughts. Put it out there. Right. And I think positive thinking is good, Uh very important, but there was definitely a key piece that was missing. And for me, that was me. I mean, there was no real action on my end. Mm -hmm. I was just sitting there meditating, hoping that that magical check would be in the mail. Did it come? It didn't come. That's crazy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a good point, though. The action is is a point that I think is... The missing piece for a lot of when that, I remember when The Secret first came out and having that reaction uh, when I would see people just be like, I'm just going to manifest and I'm Mm going to create it. I was like, no, you're missing the key point, the action part. Right. Um, But I do think, you know, I don't think you have to be a total yogi at heart to still, you know, subscribe to that belief. But I think it's pretty common. We see it a lot. And I think, you know, I'm glad you shared that because I think that's something that I've watched you over the years be able to help more people with because you can relate. Definitely. You know, I think we've all been there. Um, And often it leads to a feeling of helplessness because, you know, sometimes it works and that's great, but we don't know really how we got there. So we don't know how to recreate it. mm -hmm. And then often if it's not working, you know, I'll have clients show up and just feel totally a victim Mm -hmm. to their circumstances because they don't really have the understanding of the action and the steps to to get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. How was, do you remember what it was like for you? you remember your parents with money when you were a kid? Yeah, my parents were definitely not the yogi, put it out into the universe type, <laughs> I which know, is I, interesting. I, they were actually very practical and very um, conservative. Okay. You know, always, you know, very, putting money aside, weren't big spenders on big things, but we always had enough to do the things that we wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think I definitely learned part of that from them and I think part of my other um I think what I also got from that was that everything would be somehow taken care of and because they took care of a lot of it and I didn't understand how they were doing it I felt like it just magically happened uh, okay everything just you know was magically paid for and I didn't have a good deep understanding of how they earned that how they worked for that how they really made that happen mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see how how that plays out in your life today? Is it something that you've been cognizant of and aware of? Definitely. I see how this plays out all the time. And I, I it's something I'm constantly trying to evolve. And I think I've grown in a lot of ways. But I do see where I feel, oh, you know, it'll just work out. Right. You know, so it's kind of like that magical, someone said, Allie, the universe is not the ma- your magical nanny. <laughs> I was like, oh, I want a magical nanny. 
right? It's not just going to take care of everything. Um, in, in the, on the other side, I had this very deep rooted sense of security and strength, which I, which I attribute them. And I think that's really powerful. So I think as you know, now that I'm going to become a parent, it's a balance mm-hmm. of giving your kids that security and that feeling of, of knowing that, that they're going to be okay, but also helping them understand how it works and how they got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I how, about uh, how about me? Yeah, well, what's your story? Uh, well, um, I've shared a bit about this over the over the episodes, but I, I was the kid who played banker, not Barbie. I was uh, definitely not oming about anything <laughs> or putting it onto the universe in the same way, although I had my own, you know, uh, misleading uh, beliefs, but... I, uh, yeah, I was like six years old and I'd move my bed out. I would stand behind it like I was a banker and I would make my sister come in and we would exchange fake Monopoly dollars. I, every time I went to the bank, I would take home those little yellow deposit slips that you could take. I, don't, I would stash them. I guess that might have been stealing though. I was six years old. <laughs> Although my mom was depositing money, but I would take some extras home and then I would have my sister sign off on them. And I, was, I really thought I was managing a bank at the age of six. And my dad had me, he, he gave me this Hillroy notebook and he would have me track from, you know, the moment that I started getting money at birthdays, probably eight, nine, ten, and then babysitting, 11, 12. I tracked every dollar that went in and it went into this bank account uh, and every debit and credit. And, and I loved it. Like, I really thought there was something about, I was like, I'm going to have my own bank one day. And, but... You know, I thought I understood money and went through university, became a financial advisor, you know, 12 years ago. And I entered into the business very, okay, money's great, money's a tool, uh, seemed to be objective about money. And, but I, I had an experience at a very young age where my mom, and I'm not throwing my mom under the bus here, she doesn't listen to this, but I'm not blaming her, I'm taking responsibility for this, but when I was a child, I had seen my mom, she had a high-end clothing store, and these women would come in and they would try on the clothes, and they would just be beaming of excitement when they would be wearing these fancy dresses and these nice clothes, and I linked all these nice things with this happiness and joy and excitement. And I remember they would leave, and I, in my little five, six-year-old body, I would try on the clothes, and I would stand in front of the mirror, and I would smile at myself, and, and it was a very linked belief for me. And so, fast forward 20 years, I start making some money, and I start spending some money, and I make more money, and then I spend more money, and it was like this it, constant race of just trying to get the next shiny thing and this attraction to shiny objects that was just so obviously not logical. Uh, and it took me where I, I really, where my purchase decisions started to become, my impulse purchase decisions went from, you know, your Tic Tacs at the grocery counter to looking at pretty cars where I was like, what am I doing? And I, I literally had to stop myself because if I really want to, you know, help people in the way that we say we're, you know, committed to helping people with their emotional um beliefs around money and how that's playing out, it was very clear to me that I needed to address this myself because I had gone myself into a position where I was essentially living outside my means just because I was chasing these things. And and I could see it. Like I could step back and see it like when you're sitting in the boardroom with somebody and you're able to see their patterns so clearly. I was like, oh my God, I'm doing it too. So was that enough of a catalyst to get you to change and evolve? Um... It was enough of a catalyst for to get me to stop and evaluate 
I think it was the point where I started to look at what is my relationship with money? Here I am years into, you know, running a financial planning business. And I'm like, wait a minute, my meaning on money and what money can bring you is still quite flawed myself. Uh, And, you know, to some degree, I think there was also a, a part of me that was like, I should know better. I do know better. I have the education. I have the logic. So I can logic my way out of this. Not giving not giving the you know attention it deserved to the emotional the emotional uh, piece and really sitting down to look back at it. I think once I took the time to really work through that issue, then yeah, my relationship with money changed dramatically. It changed dramatically and and now I can I think I can help I can spot that same pattern with people a lot clearer and help them a lot more directly. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I realize now that in those years that I had that belief, I couldn't see it. I was blind to it when I would see other people doing it. So at the beginning of the show, we were talking about, you know, you see people that are making either 50000 or 500000 but if they've got that pattern, they're still, you know, we talked about the, the couple that was making four hundred fifty and living in the red that couldn't make ends meet, right? Same thing. You see it all the time. Make more, spend more, make more, spend more. So I think I was limiting my ability, I was limited in my ability to help those people until I started to really look in the mirror. And you were willing to put it out on the table. Yeah, it's funny, even talking about it now, it's like it feels vulnerable. Actually, it feels still like, it feels very honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But for a long time, I didn't want to talk about it. It was like, no, no, this is about you. I'm going to talk about you, your financial plan, your financial strategy. We're going to make you a recommendation and we're going to move forward. But I think it took me getting to a point where I had to look at myself and look at my own limiting beliefs and my own meaning on money and what I thought, you know, the links I made at three, four, five years old and how that was actually be able to help people on that level. So no more pretty cars? Well, <laughs> there's pretty cars in my one voice. No, I'm kidding. I still like the pretty cars, but I have, I'm in more reality about what they cause. Like, you know, you have a pretty car. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be happy and my life will be great. It's, it's a car. Right. And it's a depreciating asset, so I do not recommend that anybody <laughs> goes out and buys a pretty car. <laughs> okay, we're about to go into break here, but um, Ali, I'm loving this conversation. <laughs> Franco's going to be like, okay, guys, don't get used to this. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go into break in about a minute here, but if anybody has any questions or wants to get involved in the conversation, we, we're going to continue to discuss our money stories uh, and, and how that plays out and, and the, our relationship with money and also the excuses and, and the stories that, you know, not just we hear every day, but the ones that we can relate with as well. So you can kind of get a sense of how you can work with these and shift your perspective and evolve this and implement change right away. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can call us at one 866 472 5790. And if you don't feel like getting personal and intimate just yet and calling in, you can also email us at info at capitalcorefinancial.com. We'll catch you on the other side of the break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Conversations with Money with Franco Calagiri and Marissa Sipolinski. To reach our show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to info at capitalcorefinancial.com. Now, back to Conversations with Money. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Money. And it is not Franco and Marissa today. It's Marissa and Allie. Hi, Allie. Oh, hi. <laughs> We've got a special guest host. Uh, on the break, we, Allie and I were actually just chatting a bit about that article that I referenced in regards to that couple that was making over 450000 uh, and couldn't make ends meet. And uh, I know that seemed a little preposterous. Right. So how, how, how does that happen? Me. How does that happen? <laughs> I know it's funny. Every once in a while, you meet somebody. I remember when I when I first started in the business, I met a couple that was making forty thousand. I lived in Ontario at the time, but forty thousand between the two of them. So I mean, perspective in terms of per yes, year. Yeah, and and the cost of living for sure is lower there. Um, but they were donating to a charity. I remember they would give me their donation numbers. They would donate to a charity. They saved every month. They had a baby fund, uh, and they were making ends meet. And and I had that in my head forever. And so when when you read stories or meet people that are in the four hundred five hundred thousand income ten times, and living in the red, you can't help but wonder what is going on, right? Mm-hmm. So what what is it? Where's the disconnect? Um, well, I think it's funny, and we talked about this, this came up in another episode. Uh, I think the disconnect is looking at it, not looking at what's going on for the people that they're choosing to, you know, there's, you know, we see it all the time, that sort of mindless spending with just the hopes that the numbers will balance themselves out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us feel like, and I can relate, like when I, when I was in that stage for myself, I feel like, well, I'm making money, I can spend money. I don't need to track. I don't need to budget. That's for people that don't have money. Right. Um, so there's this sort of mindless spending with not really a full understanding about what are the numbers coming in. You know, what are the numbers going out? And I remember I shook my head. I got so frustrated when uh, someone wrote in saying, oh, they should just make another day's pay and then that'll balance them out. They'll be making instead of 450, 470 and they'll be out of the red. Right. I, I do remember, yeah, ha- having that same belief of thinking, oh, wealthy people don't need to track. 
Oh. It's really the ones that are that are tight on money. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are really always counting. But mm-hmm. it's actually, I think, the opposite. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think tracking and understanding your numbers is important for anybody. And I don't think it has anything to do with the income. A lot of the times, uh, you know, you make more and you've got more expenses. You've got the assets. You've got the boats. You've got the fancy cars. You've got the multiple properties. You've got the vacation property. Uh, to to think that you can have all of those things and not understand the numbers and the intricacies and all the details is, you know, that's what happens is that living in the red with the 450K. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's just an effect of that. It's funny, I, I was running with somebody on Sunday and uh, I was talking to him about about budgeting and you see people's faces. Like if I told you 10 years ago, Ali, do you want to do a budget? You're, how would you have reacted? I'd be like, see ya. It's <laughs> yeah. so weird. I'm busy, and I'm busy every time you ask me to hang out for the so next awkward. month. I'm just totally booked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No time. Yeah, exactly. So you know, we see that all the time when you even bring up the word budget. The, the people, we should do that. Yeah, we should like be a like dirty word. We should do that budget. video for that. What do you think? <laughs> what's your first thought when I say budget? And you watch people's face well, cringe like and the lines in their forehead. <laughs> right. There's this feeling of I need to restrict myself. Yeah. Like, somehow life's not going to be fun anymore. Yeah. And I don't get to have this freedom. Where in reality. The budgeting actually encourages the freedom. Yeah. It actually it's the shows, opposite. It very shows much. you where you're at. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it's. I think it's the the disconnect is exactly what you said though. A lot of people think that it means. So I say, can you do some budgeting for a few months? People automatically go to. Okay, that means I'm going to be, you know, on a budget in terms of I got I got a penny pinch. I've got to make everything stretch it and make it work. And, and I've been working so hard at helping people see that's not the intent. The intent is to know your numbers so that there's a greater consciousness around it. And I think that's why for a while we kept getting people saying, "Well, what about this app? The apps that on their phones mm-hmm. that don't even There's one, did you see that one recently where you could you could literally scan the receipt? You not you don't even write the number in, and it inputs it for you. Right. And I, I keep trying to tell people, please don't. If you're gonna, it's better than nothing mm-hmm. because you have your numbers in front of you. Then at the end of the week or month or whenever you choose to reflect on it, but the whole intent, the whole purpose is to really create that consciousness with the numbers, mm-hmm. so that you know what you have. You, know? you actually have a yeah a really solid understanding. And I, th- I think it's interesting now in our tech world, it's easy just to think that it's all on a computer and mm-hmm. I don't really have to think about it versus back in the day when you had to actually physically yeah, write, write things down, yeah. have an understanding of the number. Yeah. And and then when you go on vacation, like you talked about that vacation and people think they're going to be taken off vacation. It's not that at all. But then when you go on vacation, you know, you feel that feeling of earned it. I think we've all had that feeling of going on vacation, not knowing for sure how it's being paid for, or how much it's going to total cost, or, you know, is the money going to be there um, and, and not being clear. But if you go and you feel like you've earned the vacation and you're, you're clear on the numbers, oh, my God. It feels so much, so much better. So much better. Yeah. So much different. And you know how you got there. And then there's the whole other side of people Buying things just so they can keep up with their friend. Oh, right. You know, getting the the certain purse because everyone else has name brand things in their groups of friends. Or going out to that expensive dinner and feeling like, oh, no, everyone's ordering another bottle of wine. Yeah. 
I guess I'm just going to be putting in for this. But on the inside, knowing this is totally yeah. not within my budget. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I think that if we're not aware, and again, you know, we we can share these because we've all been part of them and we've done them ourselves. But I think if we're not aware of how we're doing that or even the bad feeling that comes up, like that's a, that's a crappy feeling. When I try on the idea of sitting at the dinner table and they're ordering these fancy bottles of wine, and I know I don't have the money set aside to pay, but it's there's an assumption that everyone's chipping in. The idea of saying something doesn't feel good, and the idea of participating doesn't really feel good. So then, usually, I'll spin my wheels doing a bunch of, like, it's funny because you end up doing more of the bad behavior, whatever that behavior is for you to cover up the bad feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe drinking, or maybe overeating, or dr- like, whatever it is that you use, boys, not mean, not boys, but you know, what I mean? <laughs> some people use boys to cover up the bad feeling. Hypothetically, of course, <laughs> whatever that thing is for you. Pretty cars. Yes, I should have said guys. Boys sounded kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I should have probably just said sex, but then I would have gotten in trouble from, from Franco for talking about sex again. We're not talking about sex, Allie. Stop it. <laughs> okay, so what we're we talking about? Money problems. <laughs> Money problems, and just really understanding and looking how this affects us and it affects us on so many levels it it affects even our health and we see that we've seen that in some of the research we've done that there's even depression that will yeah. come out uh, because of people's views on where they're at financially or n- lack of understanding um, increased psychosis psychosis definitely I mean even increased suicide rate which is yeah. so scary and horrible that's the, the increased suicide to me. I'm still intrigued by, I, I want to do more research. I, I've read some articles. I, I don't know enough about it, but I've read so many articles about billionaires and millionaires committing suicide in market crashes mm-hmm. or something happens to their company. And that's, I mean, it's crazy to so many people. You know, if you ask that couple that was making 40000 between the two of them and living a very happy conservative life, donating to the charities that they care about, and you told them that a billionaire committed suicide because, you know, the, the market crashed, you know, I imagine they they would be very uh, blown away, to say Confused. the least. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it goes back to, granted, yes, the market crash creates a, a dip in that person's, you know, funds. And there's lots of stories you can make up. Maybe they, they had a life that required a lot of money that now they didn't have mm-hmm. in terms of... Or felt a responsibility yeah. on money they lost. Right. Or they just thought they were their money. Right. And you I know? think that's what happens often, is there's that confusion that I am what I can buy. I am my what I the number I have in the bank. Right. I am pretty car. I am my fancy purse that I can't afford. That's funny. I mean, you say that, but we both know we, we were there in the boardroom when that person said, you know, I've got no money and I'm buying these fancy purses, branding purses that I don't even really connect with, but I feel like I need it to belong in my circle of friends. And you hear a number of people, a certain amount of people say that. And at some point it's like, okay, we need to, we need to get rid of this. Right. Like, where is this coming from? And I, and I, again, can totally relate because I shared my story in the presentation about when I was young, my parents saying that we were going to shop at Value Village. We weren't going to buy name brand stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was horrified. I, I was <laughs> like, the only, you know, poor people shop at Value Village. This was way before secondhand clothing was cool. And I thought we must be less than the other kids because the other kids seemed to be able to afford, you know, very nice, expensive name brand stuff. And 
really what I didn't understand is that, you know, my parents were very comfortable and we could afford the things we could because they didn't splurge on name brand clothing. They didn't have a, a high value, but I made it all mean something about me and that I would never be good enough until I had what the cool kids had, mm-hmm. which I carried around for a long time. Mm-hmm. How do you feel when you look at Value Village now? Love Value Village. <laughs> And it's more, and it's, and the thing is, it's whether I buy, you know, name brand stuff or not. It's, it's just like you said with the pretty cars. It's not a matter of, because you might choose, you know what? I really admire this expensive designer or admire this, um, this vehicle, but it's not going to make me better. Right. It's not going to, I don't need to do it to bump up my status. And I think that's an important distinction, though, is it's not to say that those things, like I have certain toys and activities, not to say toys, but like certain (laughs) toys toys. No, but I think. Interesting. Tell us more. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Allie. (laughs) I have certain, like, you know, hobbies, whether it's like, uh, I don't know, things that you would use for outdoors, adventures. um, Climbing (laughs) Aconcagua. Thank you. (laughs) But different things that I like to do, you know, I look at Luke and his snowmobiles and we go backcountry and then skiing and stuff like that to me I get it he he looks at money as a tool but he also and the sled was expensive he has too but to him it's a lifestyle exchange and and he he doesn't look at it like this thing will cause me happiness he's looking at it as value that it brings to his life so I think it's an important distinction to say that just because you know, the topic and what our conversation that we're trying to bring up isn't to say you can't go on those vacations, you can't have the brand name purses, and you can't have the pretty cars, and you can't have mm-hmm. the nice sled to go backcountry. I'm like, don't take that away. <laughs> but I think it's a matter of looking at what you think those things will bring for you, right. why you feel this chase. Like, right. why are you in the rat race for those things? Is yeah. it something that you really believe adds value and it's worth the value of, that you're exchanging in, for money? Uh, or is it something that you've linked at a young age, like those pretty fancy dresses that I saw the women in when I was four and thought would make me happy too? Right. So. Right. Exactly. That's an important distinction. Why? What's your intent? Why are you buying the thing? Mm-hmm. And and it's funny. I remember when we first started pushing on this, not pushing, but probably in the past five years, we've dug deeper and and you and I have been working on this together for just over four years of really working with people to understand the emotional process behind their purchase decisions. And we've had, you know, if you look back to all the people that have cried in the boardroom and we're not, this isn't encouraging people to come in, but it's really freeing. You let that go. It is. We should have a Kleenex box. I know how many times we've left for Kleenex in the middle, but the tears and like, like I think I told you once I saw hives, it's, that's, how you know it's about to happen like the the red the all the oh, scratching hot, the hot yeah it's so hot when you specifically <laughs> made it cold in the room because you knew that it was going to get like that um I think I think all of those things are our body's way of saying we need to have this top we need to have this conversation you know let's get it out on the table and let's let's look at it let's you know let's stop walking around with this this childhood etiquette we picked up oh it's not good to talk about money you know, but we're going to talk about everything else. It's like there's this whole not talk about money, not talk about, you know, what was the other thing when you heard like taxes or something? Who, what, how does this make any logical sense anymore? No, it doesn't. And it's only keeping us more confused mm-hmm. and more unable or unwilling to, to seek help and to seek 
research and seek uh, other resources to actually help us evolve our situation or enhance the situation that we're in. Yeah. If we feel like, oh, I should know better, yeah. then it keeps us very insulated and isolated. I... Uh, I love it when somebody says to me, whatever stage they're at, whether they're in debt, whether they're, you know, making a lot of money, whether they're, whatever stage it is, when somebody says, I want to meet with you because I want to, I want to take action. I want to take control of my finances. You know, I want to under, I want to, I'm not an expert in this. I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer. I'm a, I'm a professional, whatever it might be that they do when they recognize this isn't their area of expertise and they want help. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, yes, like I get yeah. excited. It's a celebration. It's, it's, it's the first step. It's the first step to regain control. And sometimes it's the simplest little thing. I remember for me, I, when I was just diving into this, I was re- recommended to just write out the amounts in my accounts. Mm-hmm. That's it. I wasn't even budgeting. I wasn't moving money around. Just writing it out. Just writing it out. And that enough, I did that for six months. Wow. And it, it was so life transformational because mm-hmm. – I didn't do that winging it mentality more. Mm-hmm. I knew where I was at. If I went to the store, I knew exactly what was in my account mm-hmm. and I could feel good buying what I was buying mm-hmm. or I would choose to not because I knew exactly the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a big piece for people, but it's such a simple little thing, just really getting clear, knowing where you're at. Mm-hmm. How did you feel? How did it, how did you feel when as that, as that, like you, so you're recommended to do that. You sit down to start and to how did it feel when you first started? It, at first it was really scary and I thought it was horrible. It was because that's why I wasn't doing it. I right. was very scared to even look at the numbers. I felt like, oh, I was scared. It, it was bizarre, but it was, I was scared of what I was going to see. Isn't that crazy though? It's crazy if you I think know. about it. It's so unlogical. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a certain reality. I know. It, but somehow if I don't look, look at, at it, it, it doesn't I, exist. I feel like it's, it doesn't exist. Yeah, the out of sight, out of mind is, and I think we've all done it. I've done, you know, and it's like, I'm only going to weigh myself on skinny day type <laughs> mentality, <laughs> hypothetically. <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, if I don't look at what's in this, then I won't know what I'm putting in my body or whatever it might be. But like, there's this belief that it, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind, and it doesn't make, it's actually worse. Mm-hmm. Because uh, you just build up more fear and anxiety. Like that feels horrible to me. Now there's this dark cloud that's becoming darker and darker that I'm just avoiding. Right. And you kind of shove it away into the corner of the room, but then it just keeps getting, it com- keeps coming closer to me, which it, that feels not. And you walk around with it, whether you deny it or not look at it, you yeah. still, like we said, on those vacations that you splurge on or, or those expensive purchases, you know, in the yeah. back of your mind, even though you don't know the numbers, you know that that it maybe isn't the best idea. Mm-hmm. And often it's that you don't know. It's that that's really the fear is that you just don't have the actual concrete data. Yeah. So doing that for six months, totally transformed. I went from feeling super freaked out to actually being like, okay, this is okay. I'm okay. No one died. And it stopped being an emotional trigger. It just became like brushing my teeth. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So step number one. Is yes. really knowing where you're at. Get clear. Get clear. Write it down. And that doesn't mean spending hours a day budgeting. It's just, you know, getting rid of that, eliminate that out of sight, out of mind mentality, which sometimes comes into our lives. Um, really getting clear on where you're at, knowing the numbers. Yeah, know the numbers inside out. Okay. 
that's step number one. We'll get to step number two after the break because I think we're going to go into a break soon. Um, but it's it's funny when you were talking about what you were talking about. I was thinking about years ago when I, I think I sent you a, a commercial that I had taken a screenshot of on the TV that was, do you feel like you're carrying around debt? Do you feel like you have a debt monster on your back? Do you remember that? Yes. And there was an actual person sleeping with a debt monster on his back and the images were all... It's part like of you. It's weighing, it's weighing you, down. you down. It's part of you. You are you are your debt. Right. And I remember when I saw that, thinking, "Oh my God!" Like, our our you know commercialism and everything is set it's to make us. Yeah. So no kidding. Everyone's walking around with that, and then feels like they have this glooming thing, and you ask them, but then they start crying. Right. Because it did, and it and it felt like that. Yeah. That it was weighing me down. Well, our show is intended to help you take that monster off your back, whether it's debt, whether it's just the envelopes that you're not opening, whether it's just <laughs> not looking at the numbers. We really, our intention and the reason that, you know, Ali and I have been doing these presentations is to really help expose that these are just limiting beliefs that we carry around and they're not real. So we're going on to break, but we're going to come back and I promise there will be a step two. <laughs> See you on the flip side. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Conversations with Money with Franco Calagiri and Marissa Sipolinski. To reach our show today, please call 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to info at capitalcorefinancial.com. Now, back to Conversations with Money. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Conversations with Money. I'm your host, Marissa Seplinski. And I'm Allie Warnica. Our guest host today is Frank Goes Away. This has been fun, Allie. Thank you for joining. Great time. (laughs) 
So on the break, we actually were just chatting a bit about uh, the importance in understanding and becoming aware of your money story. And, and, you know, we started to, we're going to go into some steps into evolving where you're at financially and getting clear on your finances. And, and the first step that we started talking about was really getting clear on the numbers, getting clear on where you're at. But what, what sort of like, if that's one, then one, one A is getting clear on the numbers. One B is getting clear on your money stories. Yes. And, and we both feel very passionately about ooh, the importance of this because we hear them all the time. And, and it comes from people that, you know, no one, they, everyone's got their own story. Everyone's got their own financial situation, but it's a lot of the same, you know, my parents were good with money. Right. Or my parents were bad with money. Well, you know, you've got the money is the root of all evil. You know that, right? You, you still hear that one. That's a common one. Or if on, this is huge, if only I had enough money, then I would be happy. Right. The, then I would be. Then I would right. be good enough. Then I would be. Right. If only my business was very successful, I was making a lot of money, then yeah. then I'll be happy. Then there, I'll be okay. There's also, it's interesting too, we hear it a lot, the, you know, you should never hoard your money. Hoarding your money is bad. You know, what are you doing with your money? You're hoarding all your money. But then you get the conflicting. Never flaunt your money. Right. Yeah. It's Don't show off your money. Yeah. Right. So we've got all these back and forth. Never lose your money. People only want you for your money. Yeah. And you should also never trust anyone with your money, which makes no sense because then when I'm, what, who's you helping me? in a shoebox. <laughs> in a shoebox. Hey, I actually met somebody recently that had a lot of money in an actual shoebox. I shoe bet box. there are many people an out there actual that shoe box. still do that. Yeah. I was shocked. A shoebox. I, I was like, yeah. I used that as an, as an a example in a, in a presentation. <laughs> what if there's a fire? <laughs> I think there's, yeah, there's a few concerns there. Um, and then there's the partnership stuff. You know, you should never make more money, especially as a female. You should never make more money than your partner. You know that. Right. Or there's the belief you should never make less money yeah. than your partner. So clearly we're walking around with some conflicting, limiting beliefs. Right. So um, it's no wonder we're often making maybe not so wise financial decisions. <laughs> yeah. I know. And it's interesting, too. I remember when when I asked, there was one woman I asked when I was doing that video of what is the first word that comes to mind when I ask you about money. And her face just got fired up. And she looked at me and she was like, greed. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I've got that on video. And I watched her on a video and I couldn't help but think, I mean, my immediate response was, wow, you probably grew up with the belief that money is the root of all evil. Mm-hmm. She might have heard it. Maybe her parents had a fight. And then her mom said, oh, money is, I'm making this up right now. I have no idea. But there's probably some of that going on because how else do you walk around with such a negative association? And and how does that limit you and right. your ability to create wealth right. for yourself? Your ability to go out there and to create abundance if you think, you know, maybe part of your brain thinks that that's good, but you have a, a large part saying that's bad, that's greedy, it's not good. If you inherently, inherently think money is bad, you will always subconsciously stop yourself from achieving wealth. And, and I think that's a huge point that needs to be addressed because if you don't look at what is that piece for you, and it's not just money will bring me happiness and money, the, the pretty things, it's the, the flip side. So... I think that there's some batter. I saw my parents fight about money and I've linked it with it'll cause me problems, it'll cause me stress, and I think that's the thing that creates that. I will always be in financial distraught. Right. Mo money, mo problems. Oh, <laughs> look at you. 
<laughs> right? And we, but we, you know, we think that. We go around being like, oh, it's yeah. going to cause me more stress. Even though the other part of us really thinks it's going to save us. Right. So, so how do we deal with these? How do we deal with these conflicting things? I think is going back to one B, you know, <laughs> looking at our money stories, owning it. Really looking at it and, and sitting down and, and having a conversation with your partner too, you know. You're in a relationship, you're building financial, you know, financial plan together. Looking at what what is your money story? You know, I know I know somebody asked that at the presentation recently we were doing, they said, uh, my partner and I don't share don't share financial uh, beliefs or financial perspectives and you know it seems to be a trigger point for arguments what would you suggest and and I was I was very excited that they asked that because it gave me me an opportunity and gave us an opportunity to express how important it is it's not that you have to have the exact same beliefs or make the same amount or cut things down the middle whatever it might be but I think it's having the conversation it's sitting down with each other being vulnerable and explaining this is my first memory of money. You know, this is what my parents were like with money. This is how I experienced money. This is how I see that it might be playing out in my life now, 30, 40 years right. later. And, and, and I think that's an important piece because I know we've talked about it in many episodes and you and I have talked about it in presentations. Half of divorces are caused by issues around money. Half. That's crazy. Right. You had a, a client that was married for how many years? 46 years, and they split up because of money issues. And I know I use that example all the time in, in our talks and stuff, but it's like it so perfectly represents how much money can destroy stuff if you don't work your emotional meaning around it. Right. You know, because you do see couples that are long together for 40, 50, 60 years and happy, and, you know, they have an objective and open communication around money. But I think that conversation needs to be had and it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be a scary one, but it needs to be had. Yes. And then there becomes, I think once it's out on the table, there becomes less of a blame situation. You become less of a victim of your partner spending or, you know, how things have worked out because you can actually start to communicate and understand, oh, that's what's going on for you. This is what's going on for me. Mm -hmm. No wonder we're not meeting in the middle. Right. And start to take steps and action to take even more ownership and how you can evolve it together. Yeah, and I think for me, if if I'm with somebody and, and they get vulnerable and they share with me, you know, that experience, what it was like for them, it allows me to be more empathetic and compassionate with their struggle and their process. And then when I see them, you know, doing their thing that I, I'm, you know, projecting or saying, you know, I have a story in my head about why they're doing it, I can I can understand better what is going on for them because we cover it up like we cover it up a lot of us feel crappy when we think about money a lot of us feel like we're not where we want to be even if we're not in debt but we're not where we should be we're not where we thought we'd be at this age or you know we've got this measuring this thing we're always trying to measure up to and and it's we very much I feel like we live in a world where we're always not there we're not measuring up you know and so whatever that is and and then then we do all these behaviors to cover up the feeling which is definitely not addressing the financial situation. I've never done that. No, me neither. <laughs> but I hear people do it. <laughs> right. And those behaviors, I mean, what are some examples of those behaviors? I know. We always, we always ask that when we, when we, we always get the wine and chocolate, the obvious ones, the vacations. Vacations, going to Starbucks each right. day is oh, a big one. Yeah. I do that one kills me because it's like you meet with people and you know they have no money and they're maxed out everything and they're sitting there at Starbucks every day for coffee meetings. 
And uh, it's tough, though, because you can't, you can't tell people you can't go to Starbucks. But I think it requires a certain amount of inner honesty to be able to have that conversation where you're like, hey, what's going on? Let's just talk about it. What's going on? And let's just be in reality about it. You know, if, if you choose to make Starbucks your thing, even when... Or kombucha. When, or kombucha, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't take kombucha off the table, <laughs> no. But, if, you know, whatever it is that you choose to do it with, it, it's not to say that that's bad, but I think let's just be honest. You know, let's not right. drink the wine or eat the chocolate or go on the vacation thinking that'll make that's the problem be, go away. be the thing. Right. And, and like... And then focus on that. We've done it. I mean, I've had times in my life where I was super stressed about money, about my career, about what I was going to do with my life and making ends meet. So I thought the best solution to that would be to go on a trip. Right. Go to a trip to Machu Picchu. Yeah, Machu Picchu is great. You know what? That's going to solve all my problems. For sure. You'll come back and they'll all be there plus more debt probably. Exactly. Yeah, $3,500 later. And I came back. How was that stress for you? Still there. Still there. Yeah. Yeah. I did the yoga retreat one as well, but uh, climbed mountains. I've tried it all to just sort of escape that feeling. Mm-hmm. And whatever that feeling was, whether it was from, you know, money stuff or relationship stuff and thinking that that would make it better. Um, I think the problem with that, that approach is you're not addressing the actual issue at hand. Right. You're spending a lot of energy trying to go around the problem than rather actually than solving it, dealing right. with it. Yeah, I think I think so. I think the next step then that we really want to hit on is owning how you cover it up. Look at how you cover it up. What is the behavior that you do? For some people, it seems like a harmless behavior because it doesn't cost money. I've I've run, you know, like Dan, like gone for runs where I'm like, oh my god, I'm totally just trying to escape my my thing right now and change where I feel or what I feel or where I'm at. So it doesn't have to be the obvious spending money things too. It's just I have this feeling, and instead of addressing the feeling, I'm going to do all these behaviors to cover it up. Right. So start looking at how you do that and, and own it. And and I think with that is also committing to no more excuses would be the next step. That's a big one. And that's often where we get caught or where we see people get caught is they have all these justifications right. why they're where they're at. And really that only just keeps them stuck in the same place. Right. Well, the economy sucks and real estate's crazy and... And yoga memberships yeah. are insanely overpriced. No, they really are. And, you know, true. Whole Foods increased their price on almond milk. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah. yeah. So clearly there's endless excuses. Um, but another, you know, a big step that we want to hit on is commit to no more excuses. And catch yourself and share it with your partner, too. Share it with your partner. I've got these excuses I default to. When you hear me saying them, stop me in my, you know, stop me in it. You know, call each other out on it. I'm I'm grateful that you and I have a relationship where if we were to see each other doing the be, doing a behavior to cover up something, we would call each I feel like we yeah. would call each other on oh, it. Was there another kombucha? Yeah, there? <laughs> there is no kombucha on the table. <laughs> Let's move to the next step. I think the step, uh, the next step that we really want to hit on is to become friends with your finances. And uh, I know it sounds sort of cliche and maybe cheesy, but really, like that. you know, like how many people really feel like I'm friends with my finances? You know. And friends means being intimate and personal and getting to know each other in terms of, you know, knowing the numbers, understanding it, and feeling a changing that feeling. We talked at the beginning about asking people about money and their face cringing. Changing that to a smile and, and like, feeling warm and, and good. Good. Positive. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have millions in the bank, but just the understanding of you, you created this and you have this bond and you have control. 
Exactly. We're going to wrap up with the last step of leveraging resources. Learn to leverage resources. Learn to talk about it. Become comfortable with talking about it. Forget about that crazy etiquette we heard when you were kids that you should never talk about money. You know, find a financial advisor. Find whoever it is that you've got. I'm sure there's tons of people. There's people everywhere that, you know, you could reach out to. But stop pretending that you know everything or you should know everything. We don't. Right. And we all think that we should be further along. And I get it feels vulnerable. It feels exposed to put yourself out there. But this is really how you get further along. You leverage help. You leverage resources. Get some expert advice. We all have our own money stories. And I think that's an important point that Allie and I love hitting on is, you know, I shared I've got my money story when I was a kid. Allie has her money story. Yes, sometimes they still play themselves out. But... We've gotten a lot more clarity on how we play it out, and it's an opportunity once you do that and once you commit to no longer making those things your excuses and not taking responsibility, it's an opportunity to really, you can shift your perspective and take control of your finances. It's not going out and making more money and and doing all sorts of implementing strategies to take control of your finances. It's shifting your perspective. It's having a moment where you get really clear for yourself where you're at, what your emotional meaning is, and taking control of your finances that way. Reclaim that power. Reclaim it. All, All right. right. Thanks, Allie. This has been fun. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And remember, you can check us out on www.capitalcorefinancial. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter at Your Money Matters. And we will catch you on the flip side. Oh, wait. I like our little tagline. You don't know the tagline. Oh, Have a it? wealthy week. Have a wealthy, wealthy week. week. Love it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you for tuning in this week. Please join Franco Calajuri and Marissa Sipolinski again for another edition of Conversations with Money next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wealthy week. Music.